Hello and welcome. My name's Jack and welcome to another Throwback Attack podcast. This edition features some great memories of classic Nickelodeon, CITV and the Disney Channel. Enjoy. So next up, I'm speaking to someone who has presented for Nickelodeon, the Disney Channel and CITV. It's Nigel Mitchell. Hello. Hello, Jack, and thank you for inviting me on. It's um, it's lovely to be in such good company because I, I had a little look at um, the people you've interviewed in the past, and I thought, oh my god, there's some there's some real legends there. So I'm truly honoured to be interviewed by you. So thank you, thank you, and thank you for agreeing to take part. It's really lovely. A pleasure. Well, that's the joy of Twitter, isn't it? You sort of get get in touch. Well, one of the good things about Twitter, there's lots wrong with it, but some some good stuff about it is that you can sort of make contact with people who you wouldn't necessarily have been able to in the past. And um, this sort of arose um, like a phoenix from the ashes of Madfrey, really, didn't it? So, um, it yeah, it's great, it great did. to talk to you. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about Madfrey a bit later on. But first off, um, I kind of want to start right back at the beginning. And in fact, earlier on today, before I do any interview, I'll, I'll do a bit of research. I'll look up some clips on YouTube. And um, I Oh, you, found... don't, you don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to refresh my memory, really. And I came across a clip of you presenting on Nickelodeon, which, if I'm right, was your first TV gig. And you looked incredibly young there. How did you get into the world of TV at that point at such a young oh, age? Nice. I was very, very lucky. Um, in fact, I've been getting away with it for a long time, Jack, to be honest. I've never, I've, I've never had a real job. I've never had a proper job. I've never done a hard day's work in my life. And I feel very, very fortunate that you know, people have believed in me and given me opportunities down the years and continue to do so uh, right up to this day. But um, I, I kind of, from the age of six, I wanted to be on the radio. I, I heard the radio one morning and um, we used to live across the road from a, a DJ called David Jensen, mm-hmm. who was on Radio One and, and then Capital. And he just started on Capital at the time, back in, I think it was like 1985 or six or something like that, when mum and dad were good friends with him and his wife. And I used to go to school with his kids. And um, we were driving to school one morning and we were never allowed the radio on in the car because mum had learnt to drive to take me to school. And she was so petrified of the road that she had no distraction. So we weren't allowed to talk. We weren't allowed to listen to the radio or anything. So complete silence. So I'd never heard it. I'd never heard the radio before. And then um, dad took us one morning. And um, the radio was on and, and I went, oh, my God, what's what's this? And uh, he said, oh, we were just listening to Kid yesterday. He's just started on Capital. So we thought we'd give him a give him a listen. And he went to switch it off. And I went, no, no, no leave it on. And um, it was this guy called Graham Dean who, who did the breakfast show back then on Capital Radio, which was the station in London. If you grew up, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s in London, this was it was the only pretty much commercial music station. So it was either that or Radio One. And um, Capital was just huge. So Graham Dean did The Breakfast Show and Chris Tarrant took over a few years later. But I just heard this guy on the radio. And I was six years old. And I was like 20 minute journey to school or whatever in the car. And I thought, hang on a minute. He's, this guy's getting paid to sit there and play records. <laughs> this is what I want to do. So um, I, I went home that night and pretended to be Graham Dean on Capital Radio. And um, that was how I sort of started. And it just from then on, I just wanted to be on the radio. And Kid used to take me up to Capital and I met loads of amazing DJs over the years and just completely fell in love with it. So that was what I wanted to do. There was no other question. I was going to be a DJ uh, on Capital Radio, if possible. Um, and then TV kind of came along and 
and took over. Uh, so the Nickelodeon story was that they were looking for people with radio experience. So I said I'd had some because I've been pretending to be on the radio for so long. Um, I went along to an audition and um, went, yeah, I think I think I can do this. And I was at school at the time, but I, I heard about the audition through my sister uh, and she was sort of starting to dabble in acting and she sort of had a, an acting agent and they said, oh, actually, we've heard about Nickelodeon are starting in the UK and they want to get some presenters who have radio experience. So why isn't he, your brother's interested in radio? Why doesn't he rock up and, and have a go? And so I did. And I was, I think I was about 15 at the time. And um, I got a lesson pretty quickly in how TV works because I did the audition and the guy said, you're great, absolutely amazing. We'll definitely use you, but we can't use you yet because we're just doing weekdays. But maybe, you know, when we, can't, when we start weekends in a year or so, we'll, um, we'll give you a call. Here's my number. So um, I waited a year and nothing happened, Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, so I phoned him up because my school was saying, you need to do work experience. It's kind of the time for, for that. And all my friends were going off to work in banks and estate agents and stuff. And I, just, I just don't want to do that. I really don't want to. <laughs> and so I phoned up the guy who gave me um, the original audition. And I said, hello, David. I don't know if you remember me, but I auditioned for you a couple of years ago. Um, to be a presenter on Nickelodeon and my school are asking me to do some work experience can I come in and make the tea or something like that and this is how life is so amazingly weird sometimes he said you'd never believe what I've just been doing I've just been looking at your audition from whenever it was a year and a half two years ago and he said what are you doing on Saturday I was uh, nothing he went great okay well come in and this is completely true come in I'll put you on between 12 and 2 and if you're any good you can come back the next week (laughs) And that's how it started. Wow. (laughs) Um, Because back in the day on Nickelodeon and channels like that, you could do that. You know, we didn't have YouTube and things like that back then. So you relied on people to give you a shot. And and I'm still in touch with with him to this day. And his daughter is now, you know, an exec in TV and makes all sorts of amazing TV shows. Um, And I've known her since she was the age of six, you know. But um, it's just it was amazing to get to get that opportunity. And it was literally sink or swim, you know, never worn an earpiece in my life. And they gave you an earpiece to wear. And suddenly you're you're dealing with something called open talkback where you've got the director shouting in your ears and um, telling you, you know, how how long's left before you need to stop talking and all that kind of stuff. So it was a very steep learning curve. And he cornered me just after my show, which was, I think, March 1995. And um, he said, right, I've got some feedback for you. He said, you need to slow down a lot and you need to stop looking at yourself on TV. Because <laughs> there was a monitor in the corner um, with the, the off-air monitor. And I think it was so weird to suddenly see me on the screen. I was kind of going, yes, look, I'm on the telly. I'm, on the, I'm over there on the telly. But he said, you know, everyone at home can see you. And they were going, what's he looking at? So that was the feedback. And he went, I think you'll be all right. You can come back next week. And then I, I was with Nickelodeon uh, for two years. And I did weekends and holidays because I was still still at school. I think I opened my GCSEs on air. I vaguely remember doing that. And then um, the I left to do my A-levels. That was the plan. Um, because Nickelodeon said, right, you can we're happy for you to do this and my school said we're happy for you to do this but you have to finish your a-levels you have to finish your education and that was a deal with my mum and dad and you know I was kind of like okay that's fine and then out of the blue um an opportunity for ITV came up just as I was about to start the final run of my a-level so I'd left Nickelodeon in the in the uh, December of 96 uh, beginning of 97 and um yeah CITV got in touch 
for a show called, I don't know if you remember this, it's called Sticky. You remember that? I've heard of it. I've never seen it. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people did, Jack, <laughs> to be honest. But it was, um, it was ITV's version of Blue Peter. And it was produced by a guy called Mitt Robertson, who used to present Magpie back in the 70s, which was ITV's version of Blue Peter. And he, he kind of wanted to do it. Um, so it was with Jez Edwards, who I believe yeah. you've also spoken to, haven't you? Indeed, back yes. In day, yeah. um, and Gail Porter as well yeah so um we were we were the presenters and a lovely uh, regional presenter called andrea as well and um we did this pilot run for eight weeks um of this of this show up at central studios in nottingham and that for me was just a whole nother level because nickelodeon was very much i loved it and it taught me so much but it was make it up as you go along you know there's no script or anything like that you just got seven minutes go and fill it with whatever you want to fill it with. Whereas this was a proper, you know, proper scripted TV show in a massive studio. We'd be filming in Studio 7, I think it was, at Carlton in Nottingham, or Central Studios, but Carlton as it was then. And next door, you got Family Fortunes. Yeah, wow. You know, so you could walk, walk around and see all these amazing sets from these TV shows that you grew up watching. So that was an incredible experience. And, um, and the idea was that I would go back to Nickelodeon in the summer so I'd finish my A-levels, go back to Nickelodeon in the summer. And then that, that never happened because the boss who gave me my first job at Nickelodeon went and set up the live continuity at Disney Channel and said, do you want to come here instead? So I, I went there. <laughs> <laughs> so it all kind so of Very flowed. lucky. Very yes, lucky. Very lucky. I mean, wow, that was, your, that was your work experience. I mean, usually you do work experience, you end up working in a supermarket for a week or something, but uh, yeah. not you. I got, you must have been I got paid to be silly and got paid to talk nonsense for a couple of hours each week. Yeah. I think great. I'd have been terrified if that was me at 15 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess the one, the one thing about it is, is back then, um, if you did make a mess of it, um, there wasn't as many people watching as there would be now, satellite television, because it was still in its infancy at that point, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But also, I think a lot of people, funny enough, a lot of people, uh, more people were watching than we thought, because a lot of our ideas used to appear on The Big Breakfast the following week. <laughs> we go, hang on a minute, we did that. Um, so there were a couple of moments like that. And also a lot of the, the other presenters from other channels would occasionally watch what we were doing. Go, oh, we wish we could get away with doing what you're doing, because we, we all became good mates, like with the BBC Broom Cupboard people and um, those guys. And um we used to get away with a lot at Nickelodeon because it, you could, because it was that kind of brand, you know, gunge and all that stuff and um, silliness and, you know, chatting to, to callers live on air and faxes and uh, taking, just doing silly competitions and just amazing, amazing times. I, it was one of the best experiences. I think, you know, if you're starting out now as a presenter, I don't know where you would begin really. I suppose there's YouTube and all that kind of stuff, but that doesn't teach you what, the likes of Nickelodeon taught you where you were literally thrown in at the deep end and you had to do live TV there and then. And I will always be grateful, um, always be grateful for that. It was amazing. Great stuff. And do you have like a, a favourite memory of working on Nickelodeon, whether that be something that went out on air or something behind the scenes? Um, yes, I do. I think it was, um, that, that, it, again, because Nickelodeon was sort of a bit naughty, we tried stuff that we weren't allowed to try, really. So I don't know if you remember, if you're listening to this, back in the day, Nickelodeon used to finish at seven o'clock at night. And a, a few years later, after seven o'clock, Paramount comedy would start. But when it first started, nothing happened. It was like Nickelodeon's gone at seven o'clock at night. And so the boss at the time went, well, why don't we just carry on? 
and we called it pirate tv and we did it over the course of a summer and each night would be a different uh show and again but we had no shows to introduce so during the day you'd have rugrats or clarissa or alex mack and all that kind of stuff and so you'd have like two minutes to do a game or talk to a caller before the next thing started with pirate tv it was like let's just carry on until we run out of stuff to talk about and sometimes we were on air for an hour and a half just taking phone calls reading out faxes and i did a thing called technic on there where we had this kind of mad scientist guy called john bozak who used to talk about ufo sightings and so then nickelodeon viewers would, would get in touch and call oh, i saw a ufo last night this is what it looked like and all that kind of stuff and um sending their pictures of aliens and we just used to do that and i think that was again just an amazing experience because it was just completely live anything could happen and it often did um and it was in the trocadero it was in the london trocadero so it was in a shop window so you never knew who was going to turn up either you'd have all these families outside and it was just amazing amazing times i don't know if you could get away with that today but we did no, I'm not sure either. It's amazing that you that you broadcast after hours. Actually, with you didn't get in trouble with like you know the the broadcasting authorities to broadcasting at your own hours or whatever. Jack, I've got no, I've got no idea, and I'll be honest with you, I I I didn't care no, <laughs> at the no. time because it wouldn't have been me that got in trouble. Someone up very high would have got in trouble for doing it, but it but it happened, and then it, it only lasted for the summer or so. But yeah, we got a good we got a good 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 number of viewers, I think. Um, but yeah, it was just trying out stuff, you know, trying out if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But just be honest with the audience and go, oh, well, that didn't work, did it? You know, and then get you get the audience on side because you're in it together. Yeah, I think that's one thing. I mean, I, obviously, I don't watch kids TV really that much now. I mean, I you know glance at it if, it, if it's passing on the telly. Um, and it all seems a lot more polished now. I don't think you'd, you'd have that um, thrown together let's just see if it works kind of style anymore which I think is a great shame because um, off the back of that being done not just with Nickelodeon but you know other channels as well Mm. there's been so much great talent's been found and sometimes you think would it have been would it have been found if it had been you know done like it is today if you get what I mean Mm. yeah I think it's the thing that we always tried to do was uh, not maybe consciously, I don't know, but it just it felt like you could be doing this show at home in your room, you know, like I guess YouTube. <laughs> you know, we, here we are sat in a shop window in the London Trocadero messing about for a few hours with a camera and making stuff up. And it, I think the beauty of that format was that it was almost like anyone can do this. So you all immediately felt part of the club, so to speak. So there's no reason why if you were watching at home, you couldn't sit, you couldn't go and get a pink sofa and go, right, I'm going to have a go at this, you know, and, and pretend to be on Nickelodeon. You just felt part of the family. Um, whereas you can't really do that with a polished studio production. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so you did CITV and the Disney Channel as well, and it was all kind of around about mm. the same time. So I'm just going to try and do it in some kind of chronological order, but um, <laughs> we'll just do it at, at random as well at the same time. Um, so I, I was an avid watcher of CITV um, mm. from like the late 90s up to about like the mid 2000s. And I remember you appeared on it on a few shows and we mentioned it uh, towards the start, uh, Mad for It, um, mm. which broadcast for uh, two series um, between 98 and 2000 and uh, you were part of the presenting team in the second series um yeah it looked like great fun to do that show it was brilliant and again it was up in nottingham so it was my second experience of nottingham Studios. so again felt like going home but it was very different to the blue petery style show that i'd done a few years before uh this was crazy um there was an element of scripting you know but when you've got mike and danielle 
around that is you know the script kind of goes out the window really doesn't it um and it was really weird because obviously i've seen a couple of the shows recently that came up on twitter and i, I haven't seen them for years and what amazed me was how much we crammed into half an hour because it was a really packed show and it sort of brought back memories of the person in my ear going quick 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 rush through this rush through this rush through this and originally I started out doing outside broadcasts. So I'd be in someone's house, pushing people down slides out of their windows. And um, then I got moved into the studio to, to co-present with, uh, with Mike and Danielle, which I loved. Um, and it was just so pacey. You know, we were doing, we were doing effectively an hour's worth of content in 25 minutes. And um, you knew it because there wasn't a lot of time to do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh it was great fun and, and uh yeah really really happy memory especially of working with mike because i'd worked with him at nickelodeon so i knew him anyway and the producers who i'd worked with at sticky previously had come across as well and a lot of the crew i knew um like the cameramen and the sound men uh, from my previous experience as well and i think that really helps when you're working on something you know my some of my favorite memories of nickelodeon and, and disney channel and and the citv shows were involving the those crew members who made great telly both behind the camera and in front of the camera sometimes you know they became characters in themselves absolutely and um i've watched some of those episodes that have popped up recently and um i remember them so vividly that i remember the second series better than the first and uh, there's just specific moments sketches episodes i'm like i remember that i remember that happening um in fact i had i did have one episode on tape for many years that i just watched over and over and over again. it was the only one i had and then all these ones <laughs> come up on youtube which is great um trying to think of like some highlights i mean obviously you had so many um pop acts of the time on like the venga boys and daphne and celeste and lolly yeah. you know yeah. um northern line northern yes. people like that do you remember them bewitched who are still mm. around of course um i think steps came on probably yeah occasionally um all those guys and it was at the time of smtv you know so we were friday night and then smtv was on saturday morning so it was um um, the the amount of live shows Children's ITV did back then was was fantastic, you know. Yeah. And um, so to be part of that legacy is is a, is a real honour. Um, but I think one of the um, one uh, probably the most successful person to come out of Mad for it is um, is the winner of the competitions. I think it's called Stars Up Their Noses. That was it, yeah. Uh, which was our which was our talent competition. It was like um, kind of X Factor before X Factor, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It was like X Factor thrown in with a bit of Britain's Got Talent because the director was there in the control room with the, sort of the buzzer. And when he got bored, he just pushed the hooter uh, and the act was off. And then we'd have to go in and go, oh, well done. Thanks very much. Here's the phone number if you'd like to vote. And this amazing girl turned up, teenage girl turned up, absolutely incredible voice. And she was our winner. I think she won... I don't know, a year's supply of cheese strings or something like that, <laughs> and a bedroom makeover from MFI. And uh, a few years later, she sold quite a few records, and uh, that, that young lady is, is Katie Mellower. It's an amazing yeah. story, really. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, just so of the time, cheese strings and home makeover yeah. from MFI, <laughs> who don't even exist anymore. Um, <laughs> do you know, it actually took me until quite recently to twig why MFI would be the sponsor of a show called Mad Free. I just didn't twig that the initials <laughs> spell out MFI. I was just like, oh, how do you know, I never thought about that. 
That's amazing. Yeah, there you go, Jack. That's the first time I thought about that as well. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and and you sang about the the outdoor bits in the houses. I mean, that just looked chaotic. I mean, the fact that people jumped out of their upstairs windows down this steep inflatable slide. Um, whether you'd be able to do that now, I don't know. But it looked fun. So. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, there wasn't a lot of health and safety, as I recall, back then. <laughs> there weren't a, weren't a lot of forms you had to fill in. Um, and people just like, yeah, I want to go and do that. I'm going to go and jump out of a window onto a slide with washing up liquid at the bottom or gunge or whatever. Um, I think there probably was a form you had to sign, but um, there weren't as many as you, as you have to do nowadays. But it was just really, it was a really good time. And whenever I meet up with uh, the old gang from the Nickelodeon um, days and, and more so the Disney, because I was so young when I was at Nickelodeon, I'm more in touch with my Disney Channel um, presenters and, and crew. Uh, because that was sort of like my university, really, because I was there for eight years um, and just made so many lifelong friends. And we always say we we were so fortunate to be involved in children's television at that time. And watching the, the you know, the, the celebration of SNTV over Christmas. You yeah. must have seen that. Yes, show. I did. It was fantastic. Um, I found that a very emotional watch. Yeah. Um, because it just took me back to that time. And and just and my friend Gemma, who I used to co-present Disney Channel with, um, we, we phoned each other afterwards, and we were, so, we were both very emotional about it, going, we were so fortunate, weren't we? It was the best time to be in telly, because we could try stuff out. The bands were really cool. They were, you know, the, we used to get to go and do amazing stuff. It seems as though there was no issue with budgets. If you wanted to go and interview someone in you know, America. I mean, I remember this is how crazy budgets were back then in at Disney Channel. I flew to New York to interview Phil Collins for the Brother Bear soundtrack and then flew back overnight to the UK to fly back to Florida to do a, a, a video for a special weekend we were doing with a band called Hepburn. So th- they didn't think of getting a connecting flight. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just come back, you know. Mm. <laughs> it will send you to the states again. That was the crazy stuff we used to do. Wow. And, um, <laughs> and interview Britney Spears by Niagara Falls and places like that. It was, you know, we got to do we got to do some incredible stuff. But with the work I do nowadays, it all you you always reference what you did back then because without any of that stuff, I wouldn't be able to walk into you know a studio or um, a, a stadium as I do nowadays. Um, and, and have the confidence to do what I do because it, those those days in children's TV taught me all that stuff. Fantastic. And, um, yeah, it, it's true what you said about the SNTV documentary and it's nice that somebody else has said it because I remember watching it. I actually watched because I actually made sure I got up because it was originally shown at 9.25 on Saturday morning on Boxing Day and I got up. But then they repeated it a couple of nights later in the evening and I watched it with my mum that time. And um, I, both times, I just afterwards felt really emotional, like almost a bit of a lump in the throat, it, just as a viewer, like, oh, my God, you know, those times were special and they're not coming back. And um, it, it, on, on one hand, it doesn't seem that long ago, but at the same time, it does. And, and when you're watching some of the clips and some of the, the jokes that they got away with, you're thinking, oh, my mm. God, you just wouldn't get away with that now. And it was just mm. so such a different time and happy times. And like you say, the acts that were on. And it was the people that they got on it i mean the fact that the likes of mariah carey were happy to go on SNTV yeah. and prat about it was fantastic <laughs> i know I, I love that story about the wedding dress she was like i'm in a wedding shop i'm going to choose the wedding dress now you know yes. what would you like me to buy i mean because because those kind of pop stars 
you hear, oh, they're such divas, they're this, that, and the other. But nine times out of 10, in, in my experience of those times, whenever you actually got the pop star on their own, they were really lovely. Yeah. And it was normally the people around them who were causing all the havoc. But actually, the people themselves were really good fun and were just exhausted from the conveyor belt of work that they were kind of having to do because they never knew where they were going to be. You know, S Club 7, for example, were all over the place, you know, doing six or seven TV shows a day. And they were like, where are we? Oh, yeah, we're at Disney. OK, right. Um, and so they were exhausted. And so you just tried, tried to make it as nice an environment for them as you could when they were there with you and um, try and give them something to go, oh, yeah, we like going to Disney or we like going to CITV because this, you know. So, um, yeah, but they were, it was, they were a good bunch, good bunch, you know, good music and good guests and, yeah, really, just really good times, you know. Absolutely. And um, quite recently, actually, on um, Saturday Night Takeaway, they did a one-off of Chums. They brought it back for one night only, which was nice as well. They, they did, and <laughs> he's going to kill me for saying this, but I've got my, one of my very good friends mm-hmm. who was my exec producer at Disney Channel was the voice of Chums. Okay. Oh, yes. And so back in the day, there was a voiceover, wasn't there? Yes. Uh, was it, and who, who did this one? Was it Romesh, I think, did the, the voiceover for this? Uh, yes, one, it was, it? yeah. Um, but yeah, so my friend Steve, who was our w- originally started with me at Disney Channel at the same time, and he was a researcher and then became a producer and then went off to work at SMTV as a producer um, and then came back to Disney Channel as our executive producer and ran Studio Disney for many, many years. Once he was at SMTV, he was the voice of Chums. And I think he did every pretty much every single episode. <laughs> and then he came back a couple of weeks ago and he was like, they haven't asked me <laughs> so the blood runs deep there you go sorry oh, steve dear. replaced by romesh this time <laughs> and uh, so there is one more citv show that you did and again going back to that topic of do people remember this it only ran for one series but i remember it and i can't believe it's 20 years old because i do remember vividly watching it um a game show called twister um yeah. which i have to say was I mean, I know it was um, filmed up in Scotland, which is the same place that they did Funhouse. The show was very similar to Funhouse, but had a, a weather theme to it, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. It was Funhouse with weather. And those are the two, f- two phrases you never expect to hear together. Really? Actually, that rhymes, doesn't it? Funhouse with weather, never together. And that's probably why it only ran for one series. Um, I love doing that. And the story goes with that, and I, hopefully I'm not breaking any kind of code by saying this, is that they... They originally asked me to do Funhouse and they wanted to update the show. They wanted to um, just refresh it, I think. And I'd grown up loving Funhouse and, you know, Pat Sharp's one of my sort of TV and radio because of Capital Radio, radio heroes. And so I went in for a meeting with the guys at Scottish Television and they said, "We, how do you feel about doing Funhouse? I was like, whoa, okay, that's, that's huge. Um, and then they thought about it a little bit more and I think, you know, Funhouse, Pat Sharp is Funhouse, isn't he? It's, he is, it's, yes. You can't take... If immediately you say Funhouse, you think Pat Sharp. And I think I'm so glad in many ways that... Well, it's bittersweet, really. I would have loved to have hosted Funhouse, but I'm also glad that I didn't tread on Pat's shoes at all because, for me, I, I loved him as the host of Funhouse. And I think it, I would have found it a bit uncomfortable doing that. So um, in the end, uh, they said, actually, we've had to think about it and we're going to try something a bit different. 
And what we're going to do is create the most complicated game show in the history of game shows and <laughs> go for it. <laughs> That's that. Okay. So I don't know if you remember it, Jack. Do you remember, do you remember the rules? Um, all I can remember, because uh, believe it or not, um, they... I mean, I don't live in Scotland, obviously, um, but yeah. it kind of made its way onto YouTube and stuff. They did re rerun them about 10 years ago, in, but only in Scotland. I did, and, I think, on the SA, uh, STV local channels, didn't yeah. they? Because I got a few tweets about that. And, oh, wow. um, okay. It's still available on demand on their website, but you have to live in Scotland. But I have seen the clips put on YouTube, and all I can remember, it was two teams of two, um, mm. and they had to play Gungie games, like Funhouse at the start, and then there was this bit where they had to... Um, do some whoever had won the points could risk them or something using positive yeah. and negative towers or something. I yeah. can't. It I was can't the positive now. and negative, so they could reverse the polarity. Yeah. Okay. This is Friday. It's Friday afternoon. Everyone's knackered after school, but we're going to reverse <laughs> the polarity of the weather. Um, but um, so it was. It was quite a. I had a. I was up there for two weeks at the SEC. SECC, I think it is, isn't it? Um, in Scotland, it was a huge set. It was the most amount of gunge ever used on a TV show. It was huge, and the production crew were amazing. And the stuff we got in the studio, we had you know lorries coming in and pouring gunge everywhere, like cement mixers yes. coming in as part of the set. Um, we'd upgraded the go karts to quad bikes. And all that kind of stuff. And that was amazing. So, yeah, it was basically Funhouse. But they put this weather element in. And the idea was that you had to beat the, the twister. And I think there was a certain time limit on how you could get round. The twister was like this big kind of sort of metallic thing, a bit like the Funhouse. And you would run around it and there would be prizes located around uh, the twister. But you had to get to a certain point and release the pressure. Uh, of the twister i guess because it's a build-up of pressure over a couple of minutes like it would be in a twister in in the weather um so that was the sort of the final game but to get to that point you could either stick or twist with the points you'd won and i think you'd double your points if you'd managed to stick or i, I can't remember and it would uh, the the twist was that you could lose your points um so i mean as you can hear now I'm getting confused trying to explain the game. <laughs> I know, I know. Even I'm trying to remember. It was just basically, it was basically a gamble on your points because um, it was like, well, which yeah. tower's going to light up? Is it the positive or the negative? Yeah. You'd say, oh, positive, and then if the positive yeah. lit, lit up, you doubled your points. If the negative did, then so, you just lost them. I think that was basically the the way. It. I'm glad you were paying attention, Jack. There you go. You got better memory than I have. But yeah, it was you know to be given the opportunity to do that was incredible, and to to work on such a huge show. But I remember thinking at the time, this is quite complicated. Um, and the beauty of Funhouse was it wasn't, you know, it was it was dead easy to to explain. Um, and so maybe that's why it only lasted for one show, uh, one series, so to speak. But it was some of the most fun I've ever had as a presenter in a studio um, and a huge operation. Uh, but, uh, you know, in in uh, in hindsight, it was it was I think it was quite a complicated format. Um, but you never, you know, people must, people enjoyed it. You remember it, which is great. So if, if some people are, are enjoying it and still enjoying it over, over the years, then that's, uh, that's really good. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I'm also sort of, as I said, bittersweet. It wasn't fun house, but I'm kind of glad it wasn't fun house. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. I think uh, you'd have had incredibly big shoes to fill and you probably would have just always been compared to Pat Sharp. Yeah, yeah and so. I don't want to be compared. Mm. You know, I love Pat. I think he's he's great and he's still going now. Yeah. You know, he's still. I'd love to 
still be doing what Pat's doing, you know, and have the career that he's had. And I, he's one of my all-time heroes, and I, I wouldn't like that comparison. I mean, thank goodness social media wasn't around back then. <laughs> um, but um, you know, it, it would have been had I have sort of rocked up being being funhouse. I think it's like some of those game shows. Even Jeremy Clarkson now doing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and he's kind of made it his own. But people still go, yeah, it's Chris Tarrant, though, isn't it? You know, it's it's that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very difficult when a show has been synonymous with somebody else. Um, mm. It's very, very true. And uh, But I guess, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was fun to do. I mean, um, I, the, one th- the one thing that pretty much everybody that was a kids' TV presenter at that time probably wanted to do or, or did get to do is, one, have your own game show, and two, um, work with lots of guns. <laughs> I don't think you could be a yeah. kids' TV presenter <laughs> at that point without there being some guns. No. And I'm mad for it. I had the misfortune of getting pied once by Pie Boy. Uh-oh. And that was the worst experience. If you were going to ask me best experiences and worst, the worst experience was getting pied on Mad for it and then having to get a train back from Nottingham to London because I had a shower after the show and the, the smell of the cream just wouldn't go. Yeah. And it just hung around and it was, it hung around for about three days. It was horrible. And I kept having shock going, where is this cream? It's just horrible. I could keep smelling this sort of dis- disgusting, stale cream. So, yeah, the one week I got pied by, po- pie-, by pie Boy, it was easy for me to say. I've never forgiven him for that. <laughs> was it real cream? It was. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it was real cream. Yeah, that's why it stank. Yeah. It was real cream. I just remember sitting on the train going, oh, can everyone smell it? Like, yeah, again. Yeah. Great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Pie Boy. But I think yeah. you dodged being gunged in the dungeon of guns, though, didn't you? I think everybody else didn't. I'm pretty sure I you didn't did. go in. I did. I, d- I never went into the dungeon of gunge. And I kind of regret that now. I think at the time I thought, ha ha, I've got away with this. But, you know, looking back, it's kind of, oh, I missed out on that, really. I would have quite liked to have been involved with that. And also on Twister, you know, I kind of avoided the gunge. Um, I think Pat avoided the gunge a lot on Funhouse, actually. I don't remember him getting gunge much. Maybe he's, uh, I think he put his hand in a lot of the gunge, didn't he? Yeah. Quite a lot of the time. But um, yeah, no, I, I kind of avoided the gunge. I was kind of <laughs> ran away, really. But I kind of regret doing that now. I should, I should have embraced it and gone in the cage. Yeah, because I remember the one week... And um, when I was going through the episodes um, earlier on today, um, it came up, and I remembered it so vividly, is that there was a telephone vote um, for somebody to go in one of the weeks, and it was between you, Pie Boy, and Andrea Green, who was one of the presenters on CITV. And yeah. Andrea was the one who ended up going in at the end, and I remember that so vividly. She was, in, um, she was on TV every day, so I guess she was kind of like, you know, people knew her and wanted to see her getting gunged, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, Tom went in as well, who was on CITV every week too. Yeah. And uh, Danielle and Mike. Um, and Pie Boy did, did get gunge at the very end, I seem to remember as well. I think he did eventually, didn't he? He got he his did. comeuppance eventually. But it's so weird seeing all those shows after all these years because, you know, I, I've got them somewhere on VHS. And then, um, I mean, how we got in touch, you know, uh, someone sort of put the show up on, on YouTube. And, and tagged me in it. It's like, wow, I've not seen this show for 20 years. Um, and it's just, you suck, you kind of forget that you you did all that kind of stuff because it seems so long ago now and so far away from from what, what we were all doing nowadays that, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's really nice to kind of look back and go, yeah, we, 
we did that, didn't we? And 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 at those studios and with all those people. Um, and it's it's really nice to see it in. Yeah, people love a bit of nostalgia, don't they? So it's it's always nice to to go back and of course to to make contact with new new people and, and people who sort of remember that time, yeah, and who grew up with you on 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 TV on whether it be on Nickelodeon, Disney Channel, and I mean we used to have I I occasionally get people writing out the jingles that we used to have on Disney Channel, and I'm amazed. I just think, wow. You know, such a long time ago, there was a guy who contacted me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we used to do a game called What Comes Next on uh, on Disney. And um, there was a jingle, which was like an old McDonald had a farm thing. What comes next, the chicken or the egg? We don't really know, but play our game and you can win some prizes on our show. And uh, he tweeted that to me about three weeks ago. And he was like, still one of my favourite jingles. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing what you remember so many years later, especially yeah. when you grow up. Um, yeah. And I'm guilty of that as well. I mean, um, I did watch Disney Channel, but um, I, I was more heavily CITV. And I can still remember to this day the address, the telephone number, the various jingles. It's okay. crazy. <laughs> what, was the, what was the address? Go it on. was CITV PO Box 4000 Birmingham B12JL. There we are. <laughs> You've said that a few times, Jack. Uh, yes. Years, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what I, was the I, phone I, number? Do you remember the phone um, number? 090 111 That was it. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> it's not the first time I've had to tell people that. I mean, I, yeah. I lived at the time. I mean, I'm from the Midlands. I live in the black country. But around that time, I was living closer to Birmingham. So I was always quite... Um, proud of the fact that CITV at that point was coming from from Birmingham I, think, I love that mm. yeah. Um, so yeah it's sort of spiritual home really Birmingham wasn't it the gas street yeah yeah um, gas street yeah, yeah 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 up until the mid 2000s yeah it was there mm. um, it's a shame. it was always nice to go up and, and visit I must say because because even though you were doing these shows you kind of felt that once you'd been into the studio you know it's like going into the broom cupboard back at when it was at TV center um you'd go oh my this is the re-, you know you'd these this is where the shows come from you know so it was great to go and hang out at gas street occasionally to go and promote a show and um the 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 person who sort of put up the videos for mad for it sent me a few other clips and one of the interviews i've got no recollection of whatsoever and she sent this video of me i think it was with tom and danielle talking about twister it was before the first episode and it's on her uh, on her youtube channel she said oh here's i found this interview and i I got no recollection of that interview whatsoever. Can't remember it at all. So watching it after all these years, I was like, oh yeah, I did. I was there. <laughs> that is me. Can't remember that. <laughs> well, I haven't seen that. I'll have to look a lot myself, actually. I haven't yeah. seen that one yet. Good stuff. Um, so we'll talk a bit more about the Disney Channel then. I remember um, with the Disney Channel, because we did have Sky at one point, around about 2000, 2001. And I remember for some reason... Um, the Disney Channel didn't come with the other kids' channels. You had to specially subscribe to it, <laughs> so you had to pay more to get the Disney Channel. So yes, every didn't now it come and with again, the movies or something? Wasn't there some? Oh, deal I can't with that? remember now. Um, I just remember every now and again as a treat, my parents would go, "Okay, we'll pay the extra. You can have Disney Channel for a month." And that's and then and then and then it would go off after a month, and then so many months later they go, "All right, we'll put it back on for another month." So it was only <laughs> occasionally I got to watch it, and I think one of the main reasons why I watched it was not because any of the Disney shows. It was because they used to repeat Art Attack on there. <laughs> so yes. I used to watch that on there all the time. But I did. Um... Neil Buchanan, we had. Um, well, the funny thing is, you know, the, our, our character actor, so to speak, who was work experience for us. I remember the day he came in, did work. I remember exactly what he was wearing, uh, sort of a multicolored striped T-shirt, 
came into work experience, this guy called Phil Gallagher. Lovely guy, really, really nice. He used to come in and make toast and tea and do all sorts of things as you do as, as work experience. Then he became a runner and we thought, you know, he's really quite funny. We should get him on to do some characters. And so he kind of developed into if there was a gag that we needed doing, let's dress Phil up and he can he can do it. And we had a double act, like a couple of radio DJs um, called uh, Chris Blunt and David Davids. And uh, so we used to do that together. But he had a character called Nearly Buchanan. And it was a spin-off of Neil Buchanan. Yes, I and remember. So every day, you remember that? So every yeah. day before Art Attack, we did Arty Tack, which was Phil dressed up as Nearly Buchanan going, hey, try it yourself, you know, all that kind of stuff. And... Um, and getting getting art completely wrong, and um, I think <laughs> Neil's apparently Neil's children absolutely loved it. I don't know if Neil was too keen on it, <laughs> but Neil's children absolutely loved it. Phil Gallagher went on to become who? Jack, have a guess. What's he doing now? Um, oh, I'm going to sound awful. <laughs> the name rings a bell. I can't think. Phil Gallagher, who was Neely Buchanan, who used to make. A complete mess of artwork is now CBBC's, or CBB's, should I say, Mr. Maker. Oh, that, <laughs> right, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, gosh, I didn't realise. Because the thing is, I remember the sketch, but I haven't seen a single clip of it since whenever it was on 20 years ago. That yeah. I, I, If anybody's got any footage of those sketches, then please, please do put them out there. Um, I, I can you just compare remember. the art that he did back then to what he does now, because <laughs> he's definitely better at it nowadays. Yes, yes. I, I can just remember something like um, he'd always just before Art Attack, and like they had like a, a, a mock-up of the set as well, but it was all made yeah. like, of like flimsy... It wasn't like the 3D stuff that was on the real ship. It was all like flimsy cardboard yeah. props. And I can just remember him like bursting on the, into the set once, just carrying it all in, and they all went, oh, no, go away, not now, or something. I can't remember. Yeah. I can just remember something like that. Wow, didn't realise that. <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, he's but he's such a... We're still in touch, and he's such a down to... I mean, he's, he's done incredibly well. He, he, they close shopping centres for him now all over the world because yeah. he's... You know, his brand, Mr. Maker, is huge. I remember us going for like a Disney reunion drinks a couple of years ago. <laughs> he said, I've just got back from Indonesia. And he went, you'll never guess what happened. He said they had to close the shopping centre mm. because people had come to see Mr. Maker. And he said <laughs> they couldn't cope with the crowds. So I was like, oh, my God, Phil, you're a rock star. This is amazing. <laughs> it's funny, actually, because so, um, I, I, I know a guy who worked on both shows. So I'm going to have to speak to him and go, <laughs> I didn't realise Mr. Maker was the, mo the you know the, the Mickey yeah. tape version and he'll be canon on Disney Channel. Yeah. Which is goes, lovely, because yeah. I think Mr. Maker was then filmed at Maidstone Studios yes. for a little bit. Yes. Um, and, of course, that was the home of Art Attack. So it was an mm -hmm. amazing story. Really. Yeah. Everyone's got to start somewhere, Jack. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And uh, was Disney Channel from Maidstone, or am I going mad? No, it wasn't, No, was Disney it? Channel was in um, St. John's Wood. We were in mm. a church in St. John's Wood, which I think MTV used before us. Uh, so we were there from 1997 when we went on air until uh, 2002. And then we moved over to Chiswick Park and we had purpose-built studios in Chiswick Park. Um, but uh, the St. John's Wood days were the best days because we were nowhere near the office. The office was in Hammersmith. And, you know, people would have to get in a cab and, or get on a train to come and tell us off. <laughs> Whereas when they were upstairs on the third floor at Chiswick, they'd just come downstairs and go, don't do that again. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was, um, they were great days, the St. John's Wood days. And 
some of my favorite memories and some of the games we used to play and the opportunities that Disney gave us, you know, were, were incredible. And, the, you know, lifelong friends made from, from those days. And what's so nice is the work I do nowadays, you know, some, I still see some of the cameramen and some of the sound men. Um, so we're, we're all still around doing stuff, you know, which is nice. So it's good. Good. And there were some great shows as well back then. Um, stuff like, I'm just trying to think now, stuff like Recess. Um, yeah. Recess, Pepper Ann. Pepper Ann. Um, um, uh, Boy Meets World was yeah, a big one. It, I'm um, trying to think now. It, it, I've put myself on the spot here. Smart Guy we had. Yeah. Uh, um, which was like the Tia, so Tia and Tamara were on Nickelodeon. Yeah. Uh, with Sister Sister and TJ was their brother mm-hmm. and he was Smart Guy. And occasionally they would cross over, so to speak. Um, so the two shows would cross over, I seem to remember. But we had, yeah, Teen Angel was a big hit for us uh, back in the day. Um, yeah, loads of, loads of um, amazing, you know, great. Because I remember Recess was from the same people as Rugrats. Yeah. I think that's why that did really well. Um, but the great thing about being at Disney was it opened you up to the American studios. Uh, and I think Nickelodeon did a little bit more of that kind of stuff after I'd left. But at Disney Channel, you know, we would go and meet the animators of Recess and we'd go over to Burbank and hang out with these guys and chat to them and do interviews with them. And, you know, if we were having a special uh, movie weekend, I remember going out to, to the L.A. studios and um, we would hang out with the composers from Mary Poppins. And you know, these amazing opportunities as presenters. Uh, that, that Disney gave us. And it's one of those things where I think I appreciated it at the time. I think I'd like to think I did. And I, mm-hmm. I'm always very grateful. And I always try and be as present as I can and go, right, take this in, take this in, take this in. But I think when you're so young, you know, I was in my 20s, um, early 20s then. I think it's sometimes a bit hard. You're just going, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, this is yeah. what's going on. And, you know, you kind of think, wow, I've, we were so lucky <laughs> and um, I don't know if we necessarily appreciated it at the time. Um, it was, it was a job, you know, yeah. it was, a, it was yeah. a really good job, but it was a job. And, you know, at the end of the day we got paid and then we went home and, um, you know, carried on with our lives, but it was, it was a really good job. And I think the, the thing was, it was, it never felt like work. That was the nice thing. I think if you can find a job where it doesn't feel like work, then you're laughing. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, very true. I mean, did you find, um, cause you mentioned earlier that around this time, you know, you were going through school, um, your A-levels as well. Um, I mean, were you, you know, what was it like being at school and being on the telly? You know, what did your mates think of you? Did you think they were cool or were they like, oh, you know, showing well, off? Or <laughs> It was, it was, it was a hot, I've got, I've got to be honest with you. It was a bit weird, actually. Um, and I didn't really enjoy the last few years of school because of it. Um, because I got a taste of what the real world was like. You know, I was working at the weekends and I was <laughs> and the weird thing, I was studying media studies for A-level, but I was working in the media at the weekends. And I found that quite hard because the school I was at um, didn't really have any access. I and mean, it's incredible, the facilities they've got now. But when I, we were the first year of media studies, so everything was taught out of a textbook. And so I'd go in on the Monday and the teacher would go, and of course it's uh, like this in the, in the TV world, isn't it, Nigel? And I go, it's not, it's actually not really. (laughs) Um, And so it's kind of, I found that quite hard because we were being taught stuff that wasn't necessarily true. And I found the rules a bit weird as well. Suddenly you'd go back into school on the Monday and you'd have to sort of, you couldn't wear a round net jumper because they couldn't see your tie and all that. I was like, really? Does that matter in the real world? And friends, 
friends were a bit strange. You found out who your friends were, and I'm still in touch with a handful of guys from that period um, who it never bothered them. It was just like, you're still Nigel, you know, um, but a few people were going, how much, how much money did you get? What are you earning? Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they, they not bullied you, so to speak, but it, they didn't make your life easy um, because they were, you know, obviously I was doing a really nice job and I was doing something that I really wanted to do. Um, and it was, and also they could see me, you know, with, with mad for it and, uh, sticky in those shows, I would miss half the week of school. And that was the funny thing is that the whole point of leaving Nickelodeon was to do my A-levels, but I ended up just going to school three days a week because two of those days I'd spend in Nottingham working on, uh, on a TV show. Um, and so I think a few of them were, you know, that annoyed a few of them. So you found, you found out who your friends were and I'm in touch with the people I want to be in touch with. Cool. Um, after all these years. Cool. I am jealous of you, but in a nice way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jack. I was nice. I think I was trying to be as nice. You know, I'm a, I think I'm quite a nice person. I'm yeah. trying to be as nice to them as possible. I, I found it really weird. And the thing is, well, I never really wanted, I've, I've never been someone who wants to be famous. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've always wanted to do, you know, from the age of, I heard Graham Dean, as I said, on the radio going, oh my God, that sounds like an amazing job. I never thought, oh, I bet Graham Dean gets paid millions of pounds for this. And I bet he's really famous. It was all about the actual job for me. Um, and it always has been. And it, it, to this day, it's always about, I really want to do this job for as long as I can. And my, my heroes are those who have lasted, you know, and had huge, long, long careers um, and not had, you know, careers that have ended overnight. They might have been famous, but now they're not doing it. I want to carry on doing this if I can for as long as I can, because I love it. And I don't, you know, I don't necessarily want to be walking down the street and people going, hey, you know, hello, who are you? All that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I'm quite happy to kind of be a bit incognito. Yeah. Um, but just want to carry on doing the job because it's an amazing job. And if, if you're lucky enough to be handed the opportunity to do it, um, you know, I think you've got to grasp it with both hands. And, and I've, I've tried to do that with every job that I've, I've had over the years. Very, very true. Um, at, at the time of when, like, you were on kids' TV all the time, I imagine you did get recognised a lot, though. Yeah, there was some weird, like, in, you'd be in uh, department stores. I remember being on s- school holiday in Bournemouth, and we were walking, mum, mum had dragged us out for a day's shopping or something, and I was doing Nickelodeon, I think, on, like, three days that week, and the rest of the time I was on holiday with mum and, mum and dad, and we had a little holiday place down on, on the south coast. And so we went to Bournemouth for the day and we were in um, Debenhams or whatever it was. Some, and it was my first taste of someone shouting out, oh, Nigel, it's not Nigel off Nickelodeon. And it was just like, whoa, that's a bit weird, you know. Um, and I don't think you ever get used to that, really, because unless you really crave it. Um, and the strangest one, I think over the year, I mean, still now to this day, it's still, still a bit weird because I do a lot of work with Arsenal Football Club now. And they've given me some amazing opportunities to go around the world with them. And we've done kit launches in Singapore, you know. So I've been on stage in Singapore uh, on, on the waterfront doing a kit launch with the Arsenal first team. And that's an audience that would never have no idea about my background in kids telly, but they associate me with Arsenal. And so we were on this in 2015, I think was the first time I went there. And we were on the, we were on the bus, we came out of the airport and the airport was rammed with Arsenal fans all waving around the bus. And there were two buses, the first team bus and our bus, you know, with all the staff on. 
and uh, all the freelancers and all that kind of stuff. So we're sat on the bus and all these people are waving at us and we're going, they think we're the, they think we're the footballers. <laughs> and um, so we were sort of waving back, going, that's really nice, but we're not who you think we are. And I got off the bus and the bloke who was waving from the taxi went, hello, Nigel, welcome to Singapore. It's like, whoa. <laughs> so, I mean, that really freaks you out. You sort of go halfway yeah. around the world and that happens. But that was because, you know, obviously when you're associated with a club like Arsenal, which is global, I think people who don't necessarily see the, the, the team and the club week in, week out, they like to know everything they possibly can about the club and try and get as much access as possible so they recognized all of us and immediately I felt at home which was lovely because I had to do a load of events uh, over there so I had the audience on side which was really nice um, but it is I don't think you ever get used to it it's no. um it's an odd one in between doing all these kids shows as well you were still doing your your original love of radio including for uh, Disney as well weren't you yeah so that came about um it was Capital Disney uh which was just brilliant. Again, it was an it was a chance to do the kind of radio I love doing, and I think every show on Capital Disney was like a breakfast show. So every every show had its sort of own identity within the Capital Disney brand. Um, and yeah, Capital and Disney Channel got together to create this radio station, and I finally got to play at Capital Radio, uh, which was amazing. So I got to be in their studios. Um, and walk past, you know, the legends of radio that I'd grown up listening to and chat to them occasionally. And um, that was, yeah, really, really good fun. And, and we had a program controller who, who within reason, let us get away with, you know, he, he, would, he, he understood that we got what we had to do and he let us do it. Uh, and I think in radio nowadays, it's very formatted. Um, unless maybe, I mean, to the BBC at some, you know, I guess there is a format, so to speak, but a lot of the shows on Radio 2 are very, very different, aren't they? But on commercial radio, like the hearts and, and the capitals of this world, it's all very, very formulaic. And so one show sort of rolls into the other. Um, whereas at Capital Disney, you were we were allowed to come up with games. We were allowed to come up with um, phone-ins and silly items and be creative with sound effects and music beds and jingles and build a show. And I loved that you know give being trusted to build a show and you know play around with the music to make it fit the show as well which just wouldn't happen elsewhere and i think that was such a good grounding for radio i've done bits of radio before that i've done a local radio station near me um it, just before i joined disney channel so between nickelodeon sticky and then joining disney channel i did a, a radio station called thames fm which is now called radio jackie um, so I did about six months there before I started at Disney Channel just on the Sunday morning. But again, they let me have the freedom to do what I wanted to do. And I love that. And that's the kind of radio I like. You know, I've, I've, I did a bit of heart a few years ago. And um, I have to be honest, I think it's amazing. Someone who can do that kind of radio. Um, but I don't think it's it wasn't for me, really, because it was so formulaic. Um, I liked being able to be me, so to speak. And I think in that in that kind of restriction it's quite hard i agree i agree i mean radio's only ever really apart from the odd job here and there been like a hobby for me um mm. and yeah just listening to radio i do i do prefer it when it's a bit more off the cuff i don't really like the yeah. you know like you say the formulaic version of it but well, it's I love, yeah more and more greatest hits radio i think have got it re they've got, they've um just launched a couple of new mm. shows recently and as commercial radio stations go i love that at the moment i think that's a really good station yeah 
um, and the presenters, you know, again, people I grew up listening to Pat Sharps on there yeah. doing the kind of thing he used to do on Capital. So that's really good to hear him with his mojo back, so to speak. Um, Jenny Powell, who was at Nickelodeon back in the day, she does weekend breakfast and, you know, Simon Mayo's doing drive time now and basically picked up his drive time show from Radio 2 and put it on Grace's Hits Radio. And it seems to be working brilliantly. It's lovely to hear that kind of show on commercial radio because it can be done. You just need to trust the presenters to do it. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it, that's the kind of radio I, I would love to do again. at some. I miss it. And if the opportunity came up, I would grasp it with both hands. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll definitely see what happens. What other TV did you do kind of between um, like the kids TV stuff and, uh, you know, what you're doing now? Um, I've done a few bits and pieces over the years. I did some stuff for a film channel um, called Film 24, which we, we did over in Pinewood, which was really, really good. And a few other bits down the years um, and then uh, got the opportunity to present um, The Hub on this morning uh, back in 2013 uh, for the summer initially. And then I got to do a couple of the main shows as well, which was amazing, you know, just to be in that studio with Eamon and Ruth and um, Philip and Holly. And uh, the first show I did actually was with um, Emma Bunton and Jamie Thinkston, of all people. And I did, um, I did uh, uh, Rochelle and Marvin's first ever show. <laughs> so I was in the hub for their first ever show. But that was great to, to you know, be in that iconic set on the South Bank. Um, and that came about a, through, a, through a Disney friend of mine. He was uh, a cameraman at Disney Channel and we stayed great friends and he went off and explored directing and did all bits and pieces over the years and then ended up um, doing a few directing shifts at this morning and then became one of their main directors and um, he said look I think I think there's a chance that you could maybe do some stuff over the summer send me your showreel and um, uh, I'll see see what I can do and so he um, he very kindly put my name into the hat and then I went and did an audition and uh, had him in my ear, which was lovely because I was used to hearing his voice from when I was back at Disney Channel. And uh, yeah, I did, I did uh, 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 probably about six months of that. And then they, I think they sort of stopped. A new exec producer came in and they ended the strand. Um, but it was, uh, it was a really good experience to be, to be watching those legends like Eamon and Philip and see how they presented. Um, and, you know, just incredible to watch these legends of broadcasting uh using an auto cue or not using an auto cue in Eamon's case <laughs> right then so um as we wrap things up um you've mentioned that um these days you do a lot of work with um Arsenal football club don't you yes uh, again something that sort of came out of the blue uh, a few years ago back in 2008 uh, my agent at the time said uh, Arsenal were looking to set up a tv channel would it be something you're interested in you're an Arsenal fan and I said well yeah I love to do it but I've never worked in sport so um I don't know if I'm kind of the right person for this and she convinced me she went doesn't matter I think you can do it um they don't want someone who's an expert they just want someone who can present and so I went along and uh I I thought I was going for an audition coming from a tv background where you're used to standing in front of a camera and doing screen tests and all that kind of stuff and I went along and had a coffee in the office with the guy who was setting up the channel. And he went, yeah, OK. So I think, you know, write me a news program, a uh, five minute news bulletin and we'll see how you go. And, you know, maybe come up, come back in January. And and the rest is history, really. It was it was one of those amazing, fortunate moments where I kind of took the agent's advice um, and I still thank her for it after all these years. 
Um, and what I do there now is very different to, to what I did back then. We had to create a daily news show back then, five minute news kind of thing. And um, then over the years, they sort of kept finding other bits and pieces uh, for me to do and ended up hosting events. And then back in 2012, they said, oh, we're looking for a pitch side presenter. Would you like to do it? And I thought about it for a second and I went, yes, please. Uh, and so I've been, you know, every match day since then, obviously, you know, during the pandemic, that hasn't been happening. Um, but um, it's uh, it's been an amazing experience to to be in front of uh, 60,000 people. And, and all that experience that I got back in the Disney Channel days of hosting the Kids Awards at the Albert Hall and uh, London Arena has helped massively with, you know, when you're talking... Uh, in Emirates Stadium to, to 60,000 fans. So Arsenal have been incredible over the years, giving me opportunities. Um, and and they are, they're really good at, at also giving, giving people a chance who aren't necessarily famous, you know? So I've never, I've, as I said to you before, I've never craved fame and I don't really um, sort of go out to try and get it. Um, but Arsenal, I think a lot of, a lot of, TV companies sort of look at how many number of Twitter followers you have and Instagram followers and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Arsenal have been very loyal to me and have just gone, no, we, we, you know, we know that you can do the job. Here's the job. And uh, I've, I've, I owe them a lot really. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunities they've, they've given me. They've taken me all over the world, as I said before. And it's um, yeah, really good. So uh, touch wood long may that continue because I love them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. May long it continue. And uh, if anybody wants to follow what you're up to, um, what's your Twitter? Uh, my Twitter is at Mr. Nigel Mitchell, which is where I occasionally tweet, uh, mainly about Arsenal stuff now, because that's sort of what I do a lot of the time. And um, I do a lot of voiceovers uh, as well. So um, occasionally I sort of post about them. Um, I've been doing some stuff for Playmobil, which is brilliant. I love, I grew up playing with Playmobil. And I've been doing their voiceovers for their adverts for the last couple of years. So I'm really, really proud of um, that connection. And so uh, I often sort of post, oh, it's the, the new one's out. Um, so, yeah, if you want to keep up with me, then please follow. You're, you're more than welcome to. At Mr. Nigel Mitchell is, is where you'll find me on Twitter. Cool. And if anybody wants to tweet, I remember you off that kids TV show 20 years ago, then more than welcome. <laughs> yeah, send me the jingles. I mean, that's the weird thing is, you know, um, Set or send the clips if you've got the clips because it's always lovely to see this stuff because we kind of did it and back then things weren't as savable so to speak you know because it was all vhs um and okay i think dvd was just coming in uh but uh yeah it's, uh, so if, if, if you've got any of it it's always nice to see it from back in the day well nigel it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today thank you for sharing your memories Thank you, Jack. It's really lovely to take a trip down memory lane and um, reminisce about those kind of days because it's just so long ago now. So hopefully, hopefully I've given you some some nice things to <laughs> to remember in there because um, my memory is certainly a bit hazy from 25 years ago or whatever it was. But uh, yeah, really, really lovely. Thanks for getting in touch. And it's lovely to be part of the show. Thank you for listening. And a huge thanks as well to Nigel for taking part and sharing his memories. I'll be back next month with a new episode, so do look out for that. Until then, I'll see you soon.